What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the CPA Zone, the podcast where we discuss tax strategies and accounting tips for entrepreneurs and real estate investors. My name is Ryan Pulis, and our company, The Pulis Group, offers tax planning and advisory services for entrepreneurs like you. Whether it's bookkeeping, tax planning, or CFO services that you're looking for, we've got you covered. Hi everyone, Ryan Pulis here. Welcome to another episode of the CPA Zone, brought to you by the Pulis Group. Today we're going to talk about Schedule E of your tax return. So this is one of the two main schedules that are really important for real estate investors. And they also it also captures your K-1 activity for owners of partnerships as corporations and trusts. So if you own a pass-through entity, a, a pass-through business, or invest in real estate, you really want to understand the schedule. In fact, for me, as I was working on my client's tax returns years ago, reviewing Schedule E and really starting to understand all the activity coming through there, that's what got me started investing in real estate. I started seeing what a lot of my more successful clients were doing and thought, why am, why am I not t- doing this and taking advantage of the tax breaks that are allowed with some of the activities that are reported on Schedule E? So let's kind of get into it. And if you have a copy of a Schedule E that you can follow along with, it'll probably be more helpful. So page one of Schedule E is really where we're going to capture all of your rental activity that's owned by you in your personal name or in a disregarded entity, like a single member LLC or revocable living trust. The IRS looks through those entities, if you will, and treats them as if they're your own. So those are, those are legal entities. For tax purposes, they are really considered part of you and the incomes captured on your personal return. So on page one of Schedule E, there's enough space for up to three properties. And they're labeled columns A, B, and C. If you have more than three, then you simply attach another Schedule E and you move on to columns D, E, F, and so on. Then page one at the bottom has a summary for all of your rental activities. So if you have multiple Schedule E's, everything's going to be summarized at the bottom of the very first Schedule E on page one. So at the top of Schedule E, there's a question asking about 1099s. It says, did you make any payments that would require you to file Form 1099? You check yes or no. If yes, will you or did you file the required 1099s? And again, check yes or no. Pretty straightforward. After that, we list the property address for the first three properties. And again, if you have more than three, you just simply go on to another form Schedule E. Below those property addresses, we have a space for a type of property. So Schedule E uses a code for the various types. They're numerical codes, one through eight. One being single family residence, two multifamily residence, three is a vacation property or short-term rental, four is commercial properties, five is for land Six is for royalties. So maybe you have a gas or oil interest paying royalty royalty income to you. Seven is self-rental. So this is what it sounds like, a rental to yourself. So let's say you're a doctor running your practice and you own the office building that your practices run out of. And the operating business, your medical practice, pays rent to the building you own. That's a self-rental. And then number eight is used for all other miscellaneous type properties not covered with one of the other uh, seven that we just listed. Now for each property, we also need to break out the number of fair rental days and personal use days. This is right next to the property type. 
So if you rent the property all year long, it's pretty simple. 365 rental days, zero personal use days. If you have some personal use, then we need to adjust that. Any property that's not rented all year long, you want to make sure you're tracking those days. Personal use can impact, will impact the amount of deductible expense. And to the right of that, there is something called a QJV, which stands for Qualified Joint Venture. We're not going to talk much about that today. Basically, it allows a husband and wife to report their combined income on Schedule E rather than filing a partnership return. Now, in the bottom two-thirds of this first page of Schedule E, we have essentially what is an income statement with the three columns, A, B, and C, for the three properties that will be reported on this form. At the very top of this income statement looking section, we have income from rents received and royalties received at the top, pretty straightforward. Income at the top, followed by expenses. So your more common expenses are already listed on the form for you. We have advertising, auto and travel, so your mileage goes to your travel expense, cleaning and maintenance, commissions, insurance expense, legal and professional fees, management fees for your property management company, Mortgage interest is on line 12 and then followed by other interests. So maybe you bought a property that has seller financing or you borrowed money from someone personally, not through a bank. Mortgage interest is going to be reported to you by a bank on form 1098. Other interests may not have a, a form issued if it's a personal loan. Often you're not going to receive a form showing you the interest. So you're going to track it through an amortization schedule. We have repairs, supplies, taxes, utilities. Line 18 is depreciation expense. And line 19 is other. So you create a list of others. So for anything that doesn't fall into those categories, condo fees or other miscellaneous expenses, line 20 totals all of your expenses. So the totals are going to run across the three properties in columns A, B, and C. Now, after line 20, we have line 21 and line 22, which sort of go together. So you're going to take the net the income minus expenses. So if there's a loss, on line 21, and it's subject to the at-risk limitation rules, you're going to have to attach form 6198 to determine if any of the loss is deductible. Now, an at-risk limitation is basically you're, you're at risk for the amount you've invested in the property plus any loans you personally guaranteed or that are secured by the real estate um, if it's considered qualified non-recourse financing. So recourse loans and qualified non-recourse financing can add to your at-risk limitation and give you some room to deduct losses. Line 22, again, if there's a loss, we have to consider the passive loss limitations. So generally, a rental property is passive by default, which means losses are only allowed to the extent you have other passive income that can't offset W-2 wages or active business income. However, we have three exceptions to this rule. One, you qualify as a real estate professional, which can be accomplished by spending greater than 50% of your time in real property trades or businesses in which you materially participate, and by spending more than 750 hours in real property trades or businesses in which you materially participate. So that's one exception to the passive activity loss rules. A second is what's called active participation with a modified adjusted gross income less than $100,000. So if you qualify for this, your income's under 100 grand, you act, you're actively participating in the property, which active participation is a pretty low threshold. It can be as simple as approving leases and tenants, making management decisions such as approving expenses for contractors. 
Well, in this case, you can deduct up to $25,000 against non-passive income from your passive activities. And then that $25,000 begins to phase out 50 cents for every dollar over $100,000 and is completely phased out at $150,000. Once you're over $150,000, this exception goes away. Now, the third carve out here or exception to the passive activity loss rules is a complete disposition of the activity. For example, you sell your rental property. At that time, all the suspended losses are unlocked and can be used to offset other income. So now after we determine whether we are subject to the at-risk or passive loss limitations, we report certain um, total amounts for the property. So this is on line 23. This is line 23A through E. So 20 line, a, line 23A reports a total uh, income, uh, the gross income for all your rental properties. Then B is gross income for all the royalty properties. Line C is the total mortgage interest expense paid to banks. And then line D, total depreciation for all properties. Finally, line E is the total expenses for all properties. So the IRS likes to see these various lines broken out, rental income, royalty income, mortgage interest expense, depreciation, and then total expenses. Now, beneath that, at the very bottom of the page, we report the total net income or loss for all the rental and royalty properties. And that takes us to the end of page one for all of the, the rental and royalty type properties that you own in your personal name that aren't in another entity. Now, page two of Schedule E, this is where you report all of the activities that you receive a K-1 for. So at the top of page two, we are going to see um, line 27, which asks, are you reporting suspended losses from a prior year or unreimbursed partnership expenses? So suspended losses from prior years are those that were disallowed due to basis or at-risk limitations. Unreimbursed partnership expenses are just what they sound like. They're expenses you paid out of pocket on behalf of a partnership in which you're a partner and that partnership never reimbursed you. So you're allowed to reduce partnership income by the amount of those unreimbursed expenses. So if the answer to either of these is true, you check the yes box on line 27 next to the appropriate question. Otherwise you choose no. Now on line 828, columns A through K, this is where the bulk of the activity shows up on page two of Schedule E for your K-1s. So this is where you report all partnership and S-corporation K-1 income and losses. So the K-1 income or losses, they're broken out by activity with income and activities with losses and whether the, the income or activity, I'm sorry, whether those income or losses are passive or non-passive. So remember, losses from passive activities generally only deductible to the extent you have passive income unless you meet one of those three exceptions we talked about earlier, real estate professional, active participation with income under 100 grand, or a complete disposition of the activity. Otherwise, those, your losses are limited to passive income. You enter a code P or S to indicate whether the entity is a partnership or S corporation. There is also a box to check if you have at-risk limitations. You check the box on line 28, column F, and you'll complete, or complete form 6198 to determine how much of that loss is deductible, if any. If you're a shareholder in an S corporation and you've received a distribution or reported a loss for the year or disposed of any S corporation stock, you have to check the box in column E 
to report basis, which is done on a form 7203. That reports your basis in the S corporation shares. And you would check the box yes on line 28 column E to the question if you have to report basis. So remember, if losses are limited by your basis, which the basis limitation applies before at-risk or passive loss rules. So losses are suspended and carried over to the next year if you run into basis limitations. Similar to the passive, passive loss rules, they're suspended and carried over. You don't lose them. So you can't deduct losses in activities for which you have no basis. An easy way to think about your basis is it's your initial investment increased by income each year or any additional contributions, investment into the activity, and it's decreased by losses and distributions each year. So when you have losses in excess of basis, they're suspended and carried over. If you receive a distribution from an activity in which you have no basis, then that's often going to be taxed as a capital gain. Total income and loss from partnerships and S-corporations are reported on lines 30, 31, and 32. So line 30 totals up all the income and losses from passive activities. Line 31 totals all the income and losses from non-passive activities. Line 32 simply combines the two together. So this section, part three of, I'm sorry, part two of Schedule E on page two, Again, it just reports all of the income and losses from your various K-1 activities from partnerships and S-corporations. We have a part three, about uh, two-thirds of the way down, page two, and that's for income and losses from trusts. Here, you're essentially following the same pattern as the partnership and S-corporation reporting above, so we're not going to go through that again in detail. It's just know that the trust income, income that comes to you on a K-1 from a trust is reported in a, a separate little section. Now at the bottom of page two of Schedule E, part five is a summary of all your Schedule E income and loss activities. So that you're gonna total all your Schedule E income and loss here. And the very last line, line 43, there's a place for a reconciliation for real estate professionals. What's reported here is real estate professionals report all income and loss from rental real estate activities in which they materially participated during the year. Because they're a real estate professional, they can deduct these losses as long as they materially participate. So that's broken out as a separate component on the very last line of Schedule E. So that about does it. Just a brief review of Schedule E in the different parts and how much information is actually flowing to this schedule in your tax return. So I hope you found this information helpful. If you did, please leave a five-star review and hit the like and subscribe button. Until next time, have a great day. So that about does it for this episode of the CPA Zone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found something valuable that you can take away. We are taking on new clients, and if you'd like to work with us, then go to our website and fill out the client intake form on our contact page. This can be found at thepulisgroup.com forward slash contact. That's T-H-E-P-U-L-I-C-E-G-R-O-U-P dot com forward slash contact.